right, you can make your way up, guys. Good morning, everybody. Uh, welcome here at our main campus. Welcome to you guys that are joining us online. So as uh, Jason, Lauren, and, and family are making their way up here, so just want to talk a little bit about baby dedication. So if you're joining us for the first time online, or maybe uh, you're here at Life Church for the first time and you've never uh, been a part of our baby dedications, let me tell you a little bit about them. So instead of doing baptizing, you know, uh, infants or baptizing babies, we dedicate them. And the whole dedication idea comes from Scripture because, again, we believe based upon what Scripture says that children are a gift, right? And they're a gift from God. And that those children are given to us not to be ours, but for us to be a steward of God's children, right? And that they're a gift in a way that as a family, that they're called to be stewards, and not only as a family, but also as a church and the people around them that we're supposed to help steward uh, them in their life and give them every chance possible, right? To give children every chance possible to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so the dedication process is to say to Chase and Lauren, you know, are you guys going to, you know, give them every chance possible to be able to know Jesus? And as a church, we too would say that we are going to give every chance possible through our witness, through our help, through our prayers, to be able to give uh, her every chance possible to take on uh, her own faith. And so as a part of that, so Chase and Lauren, you guys have been this through this before. So you guys know uh, about what we're talking about. But again, it's just a reminder that, you know, you guys know this personally. And, and we talk about this all the time. The children are a gift. And though, you know, raising them is difficult, the biggest part of your responsibility as a parent is to be a steward of God's child, you know. And at the end of the day that we can instill great values and we can teach them to behave and that Emma can grow up to be, you know, a great young lady. But the greatest thing that you want as parents and the greatest thing that we want for her is for her to know Jesus, you know, as her Lord and Savior. And so that's a big responsibility. It's already hard enough to raise kids, right? Isn't that a challenge in raising kids? But then to give, you know, Emma every opportunity, whether it's through the way you guys love each other, through the way that you spend your time, through how you involve her in, in knowing who Jesus is, is that it's a big responsibility. And so Part of this dedication is just to say to you, will you give her every chance possible? And again, those can look in many different ways in many different realms, but every chance possible through your witness, through the things that you do and the opportunities that you give her, give her every chance possible to accept and know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And if you will, just say, we will. We will. Good. So also as a church, this is what we recognize is that in raising children, that it is uh, not only difficult to get it done and difficult even with other people helping, but we as a church family have a part in that, right? So we know that we've always said that we want to change a generation by changing a generation. And so part of that is even if you don't personally know Emma or know Jason Lauren and their family, the idea is that we're praying for them right? Because God's given them an opportunity to raise a child and to be able to have an opportunity to steward that child well. And so as a church, we come alongside of them and pray. And as a church, we come alongside of them. Maybe it's through children's ministry or maybe it's through help, you know, in doing that. But we as a church would also say the same thing, that we take responsibility in giving them every chance possible to be able to know and accept Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior someday. So as a church, if you want to take on that responsibility or be a part of that, just say, we will. We will. Awesome. So 
the one thing that we do have as a gift uh, before we pray is um, a baton. So in this baton, this is what we ask the families to do if you've never seen this before. So today is about dedicating, you know, Emma to giving her every chance possible to know Christ. But someday she'll come to the place where she won't be just living on your faith, but she'll be taking faith on her own. And so we always ask families, write a letter of what you were thinking on this day uh, to her. And then the day that she gives her life to Jesus Christ, you would pass on the baton, she would open it up and she would read what you were thinking for and praying for throughout all of her life until she had the opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. And so this is the gift that we give. And so we pray that you guys will write that, write her a letter and that Someday that when she's up here being baptized, you know, that part of her story is, is that I opened the baton and I read the letter and this is what my parents, you know, were praying over me and for me. So there's that. Are you going to let me hold you? Yes. Okay. Let me pray for you guys. So Heavenly Father, we just come to you today praying uh, first over Emma, Lord, and just the great gift that that she is and the opportunity that uh, Chase and Lauren have to be able to give her uh, your love, to show her uh, your love uh, to her individually, Lord. And we pray today that you give them the strength to fight the good fight, Lord. We know it's difficult in our culture today to be able to raise children in a Christian home, to be able to give them uh, Jesus Christ as, as a witness in their lives. And so Lord, we pray courage into their life. Lord, we pray for the day that we will celebrate as a church together in the baptizing of Emma when she takes over this faith to be her own. So Lord, we love you and we pray that in this that we will give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey. That's the base for it. All right, so before we get started, real quick, going along with that, just one quick announcement. So in our children's ministry, um, we're going to move on April the 10th, having children's ministry for both services. Um, And it's something that we've always wanted in the past to be able to do because we, to the best of our ability, want to do everything we can to change a generation of young people. And so we've been working through this for 18 years. We've said it and we're trying to get it figured out. Uh, so it's not only in our children's ministry, it's in our youth ministry. Um, and so with that, as the church grows, we also understand that we need to provide another opportunity, you know, for kids on Sunday morning. And so it's not just so that they come and are babysit, but it's that they come and get a chance to hear about Jesus, get a chance to build relationships uh, with the volunteers here. But what's kept us from getting there in the past is volunteers. Like, it's hard, right? You're doing a whole nother uh, group of people to be able to do it. And we already have a lot of volunteers that give a lot. Uh, But we were at the place where I said, you know what? Life Church is different than what we were even six months ago and a year ago. And so I'm just believing that you too will see the mission and vision of giving young people a chance to, to know and see Jesus and that volunteers will never be an issue, right? And so we're just asking that if you want to participate, volunteer, help us. Um, we'd love for you to sign up so you can go on the app. If you have our app, you go on there and you click on Life Kids. There'll be a place where you can sign up. 
they'll get a hold of you, and you can be a volunteer on Sunday morning. And again, the great thing about being a volunteer, you can volunteer and still come to church, right? So that's the great thing about having two services. A lot of times before it was with one service, I never get to go to church. So you can volunteer and be a part of uh, church. So we'd love for you to do that. If you can't figure out the app or you don't have the app, um, just get a connecting card and fill out, hey, I want to volunteer, and somebody will get a hold of you. If you can't find a connecting card, then just see somebody on staff here at Life and we'll give you uh, the opportunity or get you to the right place so that you can get signed up and help. Because we don't want our opportunity to reach families to be have a lid on it because, you know, we don't have volunteers. I just don't think we're that kind of a church. So uh, we want you to sign up, be a part of it. April the 10th, we're going to be launching it, having it ready for uh, Easter Sunday, you know, so that we can kind of ran through it and know what it looks like. All right, so... In the Revelation series, so instead of trying to recap five weeks, because the longer that we get, the more, if you tried to recap it, it would just be the whole message, you know, so I was telling people, like, if you want to go back, because it is important to know what we did talk about um, in each one of them, because they build on each other, so if you haven't heard any of the messages, my suggestion is go back, um, listen uh, online or uh, through our website, or you can go back on the app, and you can listen, and you can get caught up, but I do want to give you kind of the gist, right, so what is the gist of Revelation? Why is it important? What should you be thinking about, you know, when we're doing this? And why the deeper that we get in it, the more we need to be able to listen. Why is that important? So the thing about Revelation that's really important is a lot of people would say, I don't read it because it's complicated. But the reality is the book of Revelation is named that because it's supposed to bring clarity. So my biggest question to you Throughout the course of these five weeks, or, or maybe this is your first time, or maybe you'll go back and listen to them and you'll be able to see all of them together. But my question is this. So if Revelation is to bring clarity to the church and you, what has God revealed and made clear to you, right? Because we come to Life Church, you know, or we come to the Word of God with an expectation, right? And we're going to learn today that it's coming to church and, and doing things and just participating or doing religious activity isn't enough, right? That's not what God wants. Like God wants us to come with an expectation, right? An expectation that he's going to speak to us and that he's going to change us through his word or change us through, you know, the word of God or the things that he wants us to do. So my guess is if that's the case with you, right? Like if the case is or the idea is I'm coming because I want to hear from God, I doubt whether he's saying, no, I don't want to talk to you today. So I'm guessing that he will, if you want, reveal something to you, right? That he's going to reveal what it is that, that you need to hear in your life. And I'm praying that you will be open to whatever that revelation is, right? Because I don't think that it's good for us to continue to get down this road and not allow God to speak to us in the way that he needs to speak. And this is why. So the further that you get along in, in this book, the, the harder I think that it is when he's writing these letters to the churches. And here's why. As you go along throughout, you know, the, the letters to the churches and revelations, one of the things that you're going to see is, is that the deception of Satan gets deeper and deeper and deeper, right? Because here's what you need to understand. When we're reading these books, a lot, or reading these letters to the churches, a lot of times it's easy to say, this person and that person and the person outside of the church, and you know why that person's outside of the church, because, you know, this happened to them or this is what was going on with them. We always point to people outside of it, but do you realize these letters were written 
to the people of the church. Like these were people going to church every Sunday. Right? These weren't people that weren't church attenders. Like these problems that he's talking about weren't people not going to church. These weren't people that weren't attending church. In fact, these were people inside of the church that were on a steady decline, right? That were gradually going down a road that essentially was leading them away from God, right? They were going down this road. And the scariest thing is, is this is what we're going to talk about today, that there are going to be people that will exist inside of a church their entire life and stand in front of Jesus, and he will say to them, I don't know you. I don't know you. And you will spend eternity in hell. Now that's, that's a pretty big deal, right? I mean, it's a pretty big deal that you could exist inside of the church. You could participate inside of the church. You could do religious activity inside and outside of the church. And he's going to look at you someday when you stand in front of him and just say, well, this is exactly what he says, away from me, evildoer, because I don't know you. I don't know you, right? And the crazy thing is, is that one of the things that you're going to see is see there's this deception that happens and, and Satan's pretty good at it and you're going to see how it you know, plays out later on as we look at this. But do you realize, and, and I've said this, like my greatest fear as a pastor, and this goes way back, way back. So as soon as God gave me the opportunity to be a pastor and stand in front of people, I used to have this nightmare. It's, it's my greatest, was my greatest fear, it still is my greatest fear, that I will be preaching on a Sunday morning and the rapture will happen, and you'll still be here. Because you came to church, and somebody gave you a comfortable message and didn't tell you what was true. Because do you know what's true? I'm almost afraid to say this. There are people, possibly, in this church today that think that they are okay and are going to hell. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't want to say that, but I'm just saying what Scripture says, right? Scripture says that there are going to be church people, religious people, people who participate in religious activity, sitting inside of churches for the majority of their life that are going to spend eternity in hell. And that's always been my greatest fear. That's why I want to make sure that I'm, when I'm preaching, I'm not skipping over anything. When I'm preaching, I want to say, this is what it says. I mean, I don't know how it affects you. I know you're probably not going to be all that happy with it, but I want you to deal with it because I don't want to be the one that enters into the deception, right? I don't want to be the one that adds to the deception. Like, we know this, right? We know this to be true. Why does the road that leads to what? Destruction. How many people are on it? Many. Many. Why? Why would it be that so many people are on the wide road that leads to destruction? You know why it is? Because it's marked heaven, but it's really a road to hell. And nobody wants to tell you the road signs are wrong. Nobody wants to tell you that those road signs that are up there are false. 
And you need to turn around and you need to get on a different road because that road is leading because we want to create a comfortable environment, right? We want to create an atmosphere where people come and they, you know, they don't, they don't get like convicted or they don't feel like maybe I'm in the wrong place. So I'm just going to tell you today, here's what I'm going to pray for as we look at the church in Sardis, right? Because this was the big problem with the church in Sardis. They had a reputation for being good. They were dead. People who have a reputation for being good that are actually dead, right? And so my prayer is today, if you're sitting in here, I'll just ask you to open yourself up to this question. Could it be that you have a reputation for being good, but you might be dead? That there's a chance, I don't know. I mean, I don't know you. We don't know the heart of every person, but there could be a chance that you're sitting in here today, right? And, and you could have been deceived because that's Satan's greatest scheme, right? Is he's the deceiver, right? You could be deceived, think that you're okay, but you might not be. And so today I'm praying that the Holy Spirit's going to reveal something to you, going to confirm something in you, right? And I'm hoping by the end of this message today, this is what I've been praying for. He's going to confirm you are alive or you are dead. That's what I want to confirm today. You know what the greatest thing is? If you really open your heart to that today and he tells you you're dead, you know what the great thing is? You're still alive and you can change it. <laughs> right? Let's celebrate that part. Because, I mean, the message is difficult, but let's just celebrate you still get a chance. Let's just celebrate if you're going to truly listen the way God wants you to listen, and if you're going to really open your heart and reveal what's true, better why you're still physically alive and can make a difference, right, than when it's too late. Right? So if you've got a Bible, turn to Revelation 3. We're going to look, read all the way through Revelation 3, 1 through 6. Then we're going to take an opportunity to break it down, right? So go down through it individually to see what he was trying to teach uh, the church in Sardis and how we then can learn from those things. So this is Revelation 3, starting in verse 1. It says, To the angel of the church of Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds, you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard, hold, hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. You have a few... You have a few people in Sardis who have not yet soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So here is something that I want you to get a picture of, because I think this is unfortunately what we do today. The church had a reputation for being alive, right? The church had a reputation for being good, right? What gives a church a reputation for being good, right? So this is what we can imagine. What gives people a reputation? What gives churches a reputation for being good today? Numbers, right? Well, look at that church. There's so many people in it, right? So I'm giving you a picture of what people would have saw in the church of Sardis. So we know 
right, in the church of Sardis, that there would have been people coming, right, that the church would have been growing because of this reputation for doing good, you know, and people would have saw it as that's the, the church, or they would have seen it as, you know, they do a lot of things, like they have these deeds, you know, these things that they do in the community or the things that they do, you know, inside of the church, so they would have been known as a church who does things. But let's be honest, right? Scripture tells us this. Numbers do not define being alive or dead. I've always said this. You know what the funny thing about church is? At least in America. I mean, Life Church has been doing, we've been a part of this. You know how sometimes you're the popular church? You know, and then people go to the popular church, and then all of a sudden you suck, and then they find the next popular church. Anybody? Yeah. I mean, this is the way it works, right? Because people pick churches on popularity and not being alive. You hear what I'm saying? Because here's what happens. Like if you pick a church on popularity, at some point it won't be popular anymore because somebody else will be bigger and somebody else will be better and somebody else will do more, you know, and then you'll be like, well, my church is boring. They don't do enough anymore, you know, and so they're picking their churches based upon the popularity of what they see and what scripture tells us is you better pick a church that's alive, not popular. Because if you're picking a church on popularity, at some point it won't be popular and you're going to go to the next popular church. And you're going to pick churches based upon popularity and not the Holy Spirit living inside of it. Because I'm telling you, if you're in a church where it's a live meaning, right, that the Holy Spirit, because this is what we know, right, he tells us that when we give our life to Jesus Christ, that the Holy Spirit lives inside of each one of us, right? And then the manifestation of the Holy Spirit or the working of the Holy Spirit works through us individually to do things that you couldn't do before you were a Christian, right? Right, so you might be good at a few things, like this is what we know, like you might be good at a few things, but when you get the Holy Spirit, you become good at something that's going to bring glory to God, and people are going to look at it, and they're going to say, Jesus is alive because I see the way you live. Like, he's alive. Lives are changing. Great things are happening. Like, it's amazing what's happening. Right? That's what you should be looking for, a church that is alive. I don't know anybody to be like, well, you know, we just see all these people's lives changing and great things happen and people being baptized and, you know, people coming from addictions being clean, people that are broken becoming healed. Like, there's all these things going on, but, nah, it's kind of boring. I want to go somewhere else. But nobody does that, Right? Well, if you do, you probably should find another church because this one ain't going to work. You know what I mean? Like you need to be a part of something that is alive. You need to be a part of something that, that is changing things. In fact, for all of us, this is something we have to process. So we know that, that Jesus said this very, very clearly, right? That if you are alive, you will produce fruit. If you are not alive, you might look alive, but you are dead. You remember the story of the, the fig tree? Jesus is walking along, and he looks at a fig tree, and the fig tree has a lot of leaves on it, and everybody looked at the fig tree and said, wow, what a great fig tree, because it's growing, and it has leaves and all these things. Jesus looks at it and says, curse to this fig tree. Why? 
No fruit. Not like, well, it's just not my season right now for fruit, or I'll be get to it later on, or I'm really busy with the kids right now, or I'm in a stage of life where I can't do, or I am, you know what I mean? The, the excuses that we give as Christian people of why you're not producing fruit, because I, I, I want to be just honest with you. There's nowhere, nowhere inside of Scripture where it says, Living, spirit-filled things in a season just don't produce fruit. If he is living inside of you, you are producing fruit. And if you're not producing fruit, you know what you should ask yourself? Am I dead? Right? Because you know what he says? He walks up to trees and he sees these trees. And I, I'm just, I don't want to be harsh, but I want you to, to be real. You know what happens when he walks up to a tree that's not producing fruit? Chops it down and does what with it? Throws it in the fire. Why? Because in the kingdom of God, a tree that looks alive but produces no fruit is worthless. Right? So as Christian people, if you've been going down this journey, because I think we do this at times, we just go down this journey and be like, well, I'm doing all these things, and I'm just saying like, okay, what's your fruit? Well, you know, I don't know. That's not fair. <laughs> I'm like, what's not fair about it? Well, I mean, I don't, I mean, I don't really know that, I mean, do I have to be producing fruit? What if I produce fruit later? What if I produce fruit before, but I'm not producing any fruit now? I'm saying, I, well, the Bible says produce fruit. Well, mine might be a little bit littler and somebody else is bigger and this tree's bigger and it's been growing longer and I've been in the faith. I don't care. Fruit, fruit, small, big, mature, whatever, produce fruit. Because he says, as a Christian who is alive with the Holy Spirit living inside of them, you will produce fruit. There is no excuse for not producing fruit, right? And that's what he's saying to the church in Sardis. People are looking at you. You guys look great but you're not producing any fruit. And in the eyes of God, you are dead, right? And I think that's sobering for each one of us for this fact, right? I hope that if there's anybody in here that we're walking down these journeys and that's where we are, that we will be open enough to say, you know what? At the end of the day, you're right. I am not producing fruit. I am dead. But God, you can make me alive again. You can change things. So let's break it down now and let's go through it verse by verse so we can understand how we can make this happen. So back to Revelation 3, starting in verse 1. So in Revelation 3, starting in verse 1, it says, To the angel of the church of Sardis write. So let's just talk about something that I think is vitally important of understanding the history of the church of Sardis. So in that, so inside of Scripture, this is a couple different ways to study Scripture. So you can look at it and you can read it for what it says and you can go into the commentaries. But there's also Christian history that supports some of what's going on in the time. So it's always good to go look at Christian history writers and see what was happening. Well, one of the Christian history writers writes about the church in Sardis, right? And you know what he writes? Odd that all of these other churches, so it talks about different other churches, all of these other churches are facing persecution, but the church in Sardis is facing none. Why is it that the church in Sardis is facing no persecution? Well, you know why? Why would Satan persecute a dead church? He's already got his work done. Why bring persecution? Why rock the boat? You guys are sending yourself to hell. 
Why not just keep you comfortable? Why not just keep you going down the road? Why not just keep you busy? You know, we don't need to bring in persecution. If you're going to lead yourself to hell, he doesn't have to do it, right? And so interesting to me, because I've always said, like, if you're going to be in leadership, you better be ready for conflict, right? If you're going to lead and you're going to do, you better be ready for conflict, right? Because if you are not getting any conflict, you know what's wrong? You're not leading. You're not leading. Because leadership means somebody's going down this road and they're in a rut and your responsibility is to say, you need to be out of this rut and you need to be over here. How many people love hearing that? Nobody likes to hear that. Everybody's like, I'm doing good. I'm in my rut and things are going well. And you look at them and say, no, you're not. You're going down the wrong path and you need to go there. People don't like that right? But that's what leadership is. Leadership says you're here and you need to be here. And that will bring tension, right? That will bring tension with people. They don't want to hear those things. And so I've always said, like, if you're coming to a church where there is no conflict and there is no tension, you might be in the wrong place. Because if you're coming to a church that is alive, there is going to be conflict and there is going to be tension, right? My biggest thing is just don't be the tool of Satan. Because you know how he causes conflict and division? Through people who've lost their focus and lost their mission. That's what happens, right? I mean, this happens inside of the church. Like you lose your mission and you lose your focus and then he uses you to start dividing things because the only way he knows to destroy something that's healthy is to divide it, right? So when I hear these things, like these things going on, I'm like, I'm so thankful that we have this going on in the church because it means that we're doing something right. Like, I'm not upset. I mean, it's human nature. Like, this is the way it goes. When you're out there on the front lines, you're going to face a battle. And I've said that for you personally. Like, listen, if you're not being persecuted in your walk today, then you're probably not doing anything. Right? Why persecute the person that's already sending themselves to hell? Like, he didn't need to do anything with you. I've always said the greatest deception that Satan has is that if you can just keep people busy and happy, they'll lead themselves to hell. You don't have to do anything about it. Right? Keep them busy, keep them comfortable, keep them going down the road, and then they don't even have to ever think about it. Right? So inside of the Church of Sardis, I just think an interesting point that they weren't facing persecution because they were already a dead church. Then he goes on and he says this. These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. So it starts to introduce this whole idea of the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. That's what he's talking about when he says, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits. You remember in the beginning of the other letters, he's like, this is the one with the double-edged sword. This is the one, you know what I mean? He identifies himself on how he wants to deal with the church. So here's what he's saying to the church. You guys are dead, and what's going to bring you back to life is the manifestation of the Holy Spirit it through people, right? Like you're going to let it work again. The spirit of God working in people is what's going to bring life again to the church, right? So he starts talking about this whole idea that I don't think we talk about in church enough. The Holy Spirit given to you at your time of salvation is given to you so that you can change not only your life, but change the world. That's why it's given to you. Power for living. Power to do things you couldn't normally do 
without the Holy Spirit, right? He gives it to us so that we can do these things that only God can get the glory for. So the question just always is, is how is God or how is the Holy Spirit working through you in a way that God's getting all of the glory? Because if we are doing, and he starts introducing this whole idea, like how do we listen and do, and how do we go down these roads with the Holy Spirit, right? And how do we become a church that's alive through the Holy Spirit? Well, that's what he talks about next, right? He says, I know your deeds, and you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead, right? I know you have a reputation for being alive, so this is what we talked about in the beginning, the thing that's missing inside of the church today, the thing that was missing inside of, of Sardis was is that religious activity, results of religious activity or doing religious activity. And when I say religious activity, it's saying because I come to church, because I read my Bible, because I attend a small group, because I do these things. Activity, right? Because I do those things, that marks me as being alive, Right? In this, he would say, that does not and will not ever mark you for being alive. Just because you came to church today does not mean you're spiritually alive. Just because you read your Bible does not mean that you're spiritually alive. Just because you're in a small group does not mean that you're spiritually alive. Right? Just because, and I, and, and I said this like I felt this, you know, in my spirit in the first service, Young people, so if you were bored, listen to me for a second. Just because you're, you grew up in a spiritual home and your parents are Christian people does not mean that you're alive. It doesn't mean that you're going to heaven because you grew up in a Christian home. You know how many times I hear that? Like, let me tell you my story. Here's my story. I grew up in a Christian home and my parents are Christian people and I've always went to church. And so because of those things, I now them, I am a, that's not true. It's just not true, right? You're not spiritually alive because your, your parents are spiritually alive, right? You're not spiritually alive just because you attend certain things, just because you go to youth group or just because you attend campus life. You're not alive because of the activity that you put in, right? You might have a reputation because you grew up in a Christian home. That must be a Christian kid, or because you go to youth group, or because you go to campus life, well, you must be a Christian. But what God sees, or what Jesus sees inside of these people, is but they are spiritually dead. And so what is it that we as Christian people need to do? Because we actually organize this way, you know, and some people that come to Discover Life know this. But one of the things we do at Life Church is we have very little for you to do inside of the church except for volunteer on Sunday morning. Very little. And it's very specific, right, of why we do this. Because we have always said, we never want you to get so busy doing the activity of the church that you don't listen to the Holy Spirit and do what he wants you to do in, his, in your life. Right? Because people will come to us like, why don't you do a shoe drive? And why don't you do a soup kitchen? And why don't you do a backpack thing? And why don't you serve, do these meals? And why don't you do these things? And I'm always looking at them and saying, well, why don't you? Why don't you do it? Like, why would I do it? Why would the church do it? The church didn't, God didn't tell the church to do it. Did he tell you? Well, no, he didn't tell me, but I need something to sign up for because I'm not doing anything. Well, how about you just ask the Holy Spirit what he wants you to do then? 
I'm not going to give you something to sign up for to mask this idea that you don't ever have to talk to God about what he wants to do in your life. I'm not going to give you that chance, right? I'm saying if you want to see God alive in this community and you want to see God alive in your family, learn to listen to the Holy Spirit and do what he tells you to do. Don't just participate in religious activity because it's the thing to do. It's the thing to sign up for. It's the way that, you know, I feel good because now I signed up for and I'm volunteering in. Because nothing wrong with volunteering and helping and participating, right? Nothing wrong with those things. But at the end of the day, that's why I always said, God isn't happy because you read your Bible. God isn't happy because you showed up for church today. You know what moves the heart of God? is when you showed up expecting to meet him today. When you showed up expecting that the Holy Spirit's gonna do something in your life today because two or three are gathered in a way he says he will overflow. He will come down. He does do something as we gather together and I'm expecting it. I'm not just expecting to show up and be like, hey, do you go to, when you get home for your little dinner thing and you talk to the people around you, you go to church today? Yeah, I went to church today. Well, that's good, I'm glad you're going to church today. I mean, did God do anything? Well, no, he didn't really do anything. I mean, they had good donuts and the coffee was okay. And, and I'm like, did Jesus move you? Because you can't convince me that he doesn't want to move you today. You can't convince me that he doesn't want to do something in your life today. You're not going to convince me that he doesn't want to speak to you. Right? Because I've always said this. Kids, listen up again. Sometimes children or youth, they attend church and they're like, well, I'm youth. I don't really hear from God. Someday I'm hearing from God. If you're calling yourself from a Christian person, if you're saying that you are a believer and you are not pursuing God, you better ask yourself the question, are you really a believer? I don't care what your age is. In fact, God spoke the most clearly sometimes to the youngest people. You know why? Because they're not polluted. <laughs> They're not like, well, I can't because, and I have, and blah, 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 You know what I mean? Like, we got a whole list of why we can't do things. He wants to speak to young people. He wants young people to pursue him with a heart. And so people that would sit back and say, well, I'm just, I'm waiting for the right season for God to speak to me. Once I get into high school, or once I get out of school, or once I get to college, or once I get married, and I'm saying, listen, if you're a believer, he wants to speak to you. He wants to talk to you. He wants you to be alive. Right? There's, the, there's not this idea that you, because you're young, can just exist under the umbrella of your parents' faith and say that you're a believer. That's not the way it works. You don't get to operate under the umbrella of your parents. If you're a believer, then you're a believer. And God sees you, not the umbrella of your parents. And that goes for all of us, right? I mean, he's saying the same thing, but I just felt like God really laid on my heart today that sometimes young people get under these umbrellas and they're completely deceived. They grow up all of their life under their parents' faith and their parents' pursuit of God, and they never take ownership of speaking, and they never take ownership of listening, and they never take ownership in God using them in amazing ways. And I'm just saying, young people, don't fall into this deception. Don't be deceived. Don't wait. He wants to speak because in this, this is what he's telling us, to be spiritually alive, right? For us to be spiritually alive, we need to seek 
a relationship with him, and we need to do and be a part of what the Holy Spirit tells us to do and be a part of. That's why I'm always telling you, we here at Life Church will preach this all the time. When people ask me, like, what does the church need? And I said, spirit-filled believers. I mean, we need some volunteers, but you know what we really need? Because you really, you know what? You don't, I don't, <laughs> now I'm going to get myself in trouble. <laughs> you don't have to ask for volunteers if people are listening to the Spirit. There ain't nobody in here that's not going to say the lives of young people and children are valuable and that I should have to stand up here and say, well, we need some volunteers to be able to go. We're gonna... Listen to the Spirit. He's telling you. Right? I'm just telling you, if we're listening, nobody's going to convince me that if your heart is open and you're at a place that God wants to work, that he's not going to be like, hey, because we might not need any volunteers, but he might say to you, you should go down there and see what's going on. Because isn't that the way it works? Part of the problem, part of the problem, <laughs> we've said no for so long you can't hear anymore. You know those little nudges and you're like, well, I don't know the nudge and, you know, just kind of, you know, can't do and... You know, and they keep nudging and you keep nudging and pretty soon you're like, I don't even get any nudges anymore. Does God not want to speak to me? I'm like, no, he wants to speak to you. He's been saying no for too long. How about you start saying yes for once? How about you start listening for once? Because you know, when you start listening, let me tell you, that voice gets louder and louder and louder and clearer and clearer because you know what? He wants to speak and he wants to use because you're plan A. You're plan A. He could easily change right now, Huntington, addictions, right, sexual abuse, sin, easily. God could just be like, bam, it's gone in this community. It's gone in Wabash. It's gone in all these neighboring communities. He could just do that. But you know why he doesn't? Because he wants to use you to do it. You're plan A. And the only way he can use you is if you're listening and the problem is we're so distracted with the world right now and we're so distracted with activity that we're no longer listening. We're so busy, not only doing life, just busy doing church things that you're not even listening. That you've glossed over what he really wants to say to you because you're busy doing religious activity. I'm saying, listen, don't be deceived. Don't be like the church in Sardis. Don't look or have a reputation for being alive, but you're really dead, right? Then he goes on and says this, how do we fix it? Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I've found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you've received and heard. Hold, hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. What does he say? The first thing is this, wake up. Young people, listen to me. I want you to take an opportunity that when you leave this place today, I want you to wake up. I want you to know, are you dead or alive? You need to ask that question. You need to ask the question, am I living off of my parents' faith? Is it about my parents' faith? Is it about what they make me go to church? Is it that they make me or drag me along? Because if that's the case, it just might be, and I just want to be honest with you, you might be spiritually dead right now. 
And the reason I want you to know that is not to condemn you, but you to wake up before it's too late. And I want you to be deceived. And I want you to have this rhythm inside of your life that it's all okay just because you're a kid. You don't have to pursue God. You don't want to have to be in his presence. You don't want to have to be a part of what's going on. That it's just okay that you're at that place in your life. It's not just okay. It's not. Right? We need to pursue, and that's for all of us. We need to wake up and realize before it is too late. He tells us, wake up, ask yourself the question, unveil what needs to be unveiled, because you still, because of the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, you still got a chance. Isn't that good? Right? It's wonderful that we still get a chance to be able to change those things. The other thing is, as he says, strengthen the things that still remain. For some of you today, this is where you're at, and I know this is how it works. You were on fire once. Anybody? Like you were on fire and that it's starting to dwindle. Or it's went out. Not went out, but it's just like embers. You know what he's telling you? Fan the flame. The thing that is now an ember can be a fire again, but it'll be a fire because you fan the flame. Blow on it. Get out the air compressor. Use the, somebody said billows, whatever those things are. You know what I mean? Like pump the air to the fire. If an ember is there, the fire can start again. Whatever it takes. Get it going, right? Don't just sit back and be okay, shivering around a little ember on a fire. That fire should burn you up, right? Fan it till it burns you up. Like those are the things that we need to do. He says, take those things and strengthen what still remains because it still remains. So if you've been going out, you know what the great thing is, is it can be a fire again, right, if you just fan the flames. And he says, remember what you had at first. You need to remember the gospel. Listen, if you're at a place where you're kind of off the path, you know what he tells you to do? Like if you're just kind of going through the motions and maybe you're dead on the inside, you know what he says you do? You need to go back and remember the gospel. You need to remember what Jesus Christ did for you and the sacrifice that he did for you and that you are going to spend eternity in heaven, name written in the book of life because he, what he did for you. And for all of us, that should be all the kick in the butt that you need. How do you sit apathetic inside of the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ when that's what he did for you? I don't care what's happened to you in life. I don't care what started, the water that's been poured on your flame or the things that have been happening in your life. Jesus Christ died for you. That should kick us in the butt to get moving, to do something. You're right, life might not have worked the way you wanted it to work, but at the end of the day, remember what he did for you, right? The other thing that he says is that he wants us to keep the truths. We need to obey. That's the challenge I've given you before, and I'm going to give it to you again. If the Holy Spirit tells you to do, do it. Stop trying to rationalize it. Because here's what you know about the Spirit of God when he speaks to you. It is not and will never be rational. Ever. What he tells you to do will be completely irrational. And, you will do, and you're going to try to rationalize it. I'm like, stop rationalizing it. That's why you're not hearing anymore. You've been trying to rationalize the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God was never meant to be contained or rationalized. The Spirit of God was made to be obeyed. And when we obey it, God does what only he can do. 
right? So if you've been trying to rationalize that still small voice, that's why there is no voice anymore. Stop rationalizing, start listening. As you listen and as we obey, those things will change in your life. The last thing he tells us to do is repent. All right, so the worship team's gonna come back up and I wanna just give you some thoughts on this, right? Here's what we know about repentance. Repentance changes things, right? And again, like, listen to me. Too many times, young or old, we go down these roads, like, I'm sorry, and I'm sorry, and I'm sorry, and glad I'm, God, I'm so glad you forgive me, and I'm sorry, and I'm sorry, and we just keep going down these roads, and yes, I'm sorry, but life never comes through sorry. Revival does not come from being sorry. Revival becomes because of repentance. Revival comes because we were going some one way and it's not the way we needed to go. And he says, you need to repent and we're going down a road now and repentance brings revival. And that's what I want. I mean, this is what I want in my life. Like I've always said this, like, listen, I don't want to just exist. If I was just going to exist, I'd rather just go home. You know, might as well just go to heaven if you're just going to exist. I want revival for my own life, right? I want it where he's speaking and I'm listening and revival's happening in my own heart. I want to be a part of a church that doesn't just want to come and exist. I want a church that comes that wants revival, not just from the... um, buzzword, like we're going to have a revival so everybody show up on Thursday night, listen to me, revival happens every day that you follow the Holy Spirit in your life. Revival happens in you and will happen in your community and it doesn't have to be an event because it's happening through you. Right? That's revival. That's what I want. Not something that's made up, but something that's real. Something that's inside of people that they're hearing from the Spirit and they're doing and things around them are changing and people are looking and it's just a natural revival of the Spirit and people are saying, that is God. That's what I want. That's what I want to be a part of. Because he ends with this in verse 4 that you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one is victorious, will, like them, be dressed in white. And I will never blot out the name of the person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that that name before my Father and his angels, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Listen, here's what I want you to consider. Where do you need to wake up? What is it in your life that needs a refreshing? Where is it inside of you that you need to just say, God, invade this space. It's been dark for too long. The the flame is dwindling. It might be out, but God, will will you do something? I want to wake up. I want to wake up. I want to be alive again. I want to be excited again. I want to see you work again. I want to see you change lives again. I want to be a part of what you're doing. So as you sing this last song, this is what I'm praying for you, right? That God will do what only he can do through the Holy Spirit to take dead things and bring them to life again. Will you stand so I can pray for you?
So Heavenly Father, as we come to you today, we recognize that Satan is a great deceiver and that for so many of us, he's just moved us along, put us through the motions, deceived us, and our heart is just not in it. But that fire that we once had has dwindled. Lord, I pray today, fan the flame. Fan the flame. I want to be on fire again. I want to be healed again. I want to, I want to see people restored again. I want revival to happen in the lives of my children and the people around them. Lord, I want to be a part of your movement, not mine. Lord, we will sacrifice all religious activity to be obedient to you. And so, Lord, we just lay ourselves at your feet. May you do what you want with us. May we be a church that has not a reputation for being alive, but a church that is alive through your Holy Spirit. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray.
You know, one of the things that I think for all of us, when we walk away with this humble spirit, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> we need the spirit to work, right? Because when we are weak, he is strong. So if we position ourselves in a place to say, God, like, like, just use me. Like, I don't know what it is. I don't know where to go. I'm not prepared for what you have for me, but I am willing and I am open. And when we do that, the spirit is strong and God can use us in amazing ways. So I just pray that that will be us this week. So all of you guys at our main campus, thanks for joining us here. And for all of you guys who joined us online, we'll see you next week.